Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. I welcome you back to your seats. It is that time to get started. Matthew chapter 9, a new chapter for us in our verse-by-verse study. Matthew chapter 9, and as always, we like to kind of gather some of the facts from the other. They're called evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The other evangelists have a lot of little details, so we like to compile them all for the fullest uh, impact possible. And in order for that fullest impact possible, we look to the Lord in prayer. Let's do that. Now, Father God, here in Matthew 9, such a delightful account with such powerful uh, truth that sets our hearts free, tells us about our greatest problems and how you have solved them and where to look for that comfort and joy and relief. We We thank you, God, for being the source of all good things. And we look to you now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So everyone has problems, right? And I'm not sure that everyone knows exactly what they are. Because sometimes the real problems are a little bit different than what appears to us to be the issue, right? So for example, if you got a problem back in the day with a teacher or a coach, Actually, the problem could be with uh, your own attitude, a problem with authority, right? And so you're thinking it's him, but actually not so much. Uh, And then perhaps we think, uh, as some will learn through Financial Peace University, that Dave Ramsey uh, study, perhaps they think that the trouble is with their finances, that the problem is just not having enough money at the end of the month. However... The truth, the real problem, is spending more than you make. And uh, so the list goes on. Uh, Let's try something. Think quickly about your top three problems, all right? So if I'm going to tell you, you know, you you have like 10 seconds to complain, you know, pick, (laughs) pick three of the things that you would say, yeah, this is a problem, number one, two, and three. Got it? Now, I'm sure your list contains real struggles, but here are a few possibilities. I'd like to see if any of these made your list. Number one, too much pride. Number two, too little faith. Number three, lacking love. Now, that's a pretty significant problem biblically because The Bible says if you lack love, it doesn't matter how many good things you got going on. It reduces you in heaven's sight to nothing. That's a significant issue that we might want to be focused on and consider, you know, I got a problem here. 
prayerlessness, lacking Christian disciplines. That's a problem. A heart that's not right with God. Biblically, scripturally, these are our greatest problems because they're spiritual in nature. They're eternal in their impact. The kind of life you lead now will impact the person you are in heaven, the role you play in heaven according to your faithful stewardship or not. And so some of these uh, issues are are deserving our utmost uh, attention. Now, we can't not fix or improve the quality of our lives without addressing the real troubles, our true problems. And so this is a huge takeaway in this morning's passage, and it's really the point that Jesus is going to make in such a delightful, entertaining, intriguing, and profound way. Just one of many amazing truths that we'll see in this well-known, well-loved incident here in Matthew 9. Let's take a look here at the compilation of the story here. Jesus steps into a boat. He has just cast a legion of demons uh, out of a tormented soul and into the swine. You were here last week. And now he's got into the boat. They don't want him to stay there. And so he doesn't stay where he's not welcome. And he crosses over and comes to his hometown of uh, Capernaum. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man. And four men were carrying him on a stretcher of sorts. Uh, Since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through the tiles, they lowered the man, the paralyzed man, down, lying on a mat there, suspended by ropes, down into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. He goes on. Now, this is the most of Matthew's account. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralyzed man, take heart, cheer up, son. Your sins are forgiven, my friend. At this, some of the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the religious rabbis who don't like Jesus, they're jealous. They said to themselves, they're thinking thoughts. This guy, fellow, is a pejorative. It's an insult term. This guy, who's this guy think he is? This guy's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Good question. Knowing their thoughts. Wow. Jesus says, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Got a question for you. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Or to a paralyzed man, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man, a messianic title, from the Old Testament, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, me, <laughs> has the authority to, on earth to forgive sins. Then he says to the paralyzed man in front of everyone, get up, take your mat, and go home. Bam. And immediately, the man gets up in front of everyone picked up what he had been lying on and went home praising God. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe 
And they praised God who had given such authority to men. That means that God, they praised God for not keeping all his power and goodness and glory and blessing up in heaven, but has now come down through Christ, given him authority to share those blessings of life with us. And so they said, we have seen some remarkable things today. Yes, indeed, I'll say for sure. Now, Matthew, he was an accountant in his former life, and he likes to be concise, and he's got a point. And he's making the point of forgiveness found in Christ. And so he cuts out the best part of the story for us, right? The roof, the whole scene with the roof. Because Matthew doesn't want you to be distracted. His audience distracted. If this isn't a story in Matthew's account about these fabulous four friends and their ingenuity and their faith. For Matthew's audience, he's zoning in on, you want forgiveness of your sins? There's one place to find that, and that would be the Son of God. You see? So each evangelist, as they're called, uh, has a point, right? And it's so wonderful to be able to, to grab up all of the little details and put them before us for our consideration. So the underlining theme right now with these verses is showcasing Jesus' authority. There's nothing that our Savior cannot handle. That's the point. So he started with sickness and disease. Name it. Jesus can heal it and deal with it and help you get through it. And then he has authority over the natural elements. He can speak to the wind and the waves and even they obey. They submit to him. And they, this blew their minds. They said, who is this that he can speak to the wind and it obeys? This is Jesus who has authority over all things. And then the list gets longer. Last week we saw the authority reaching over the demonic forces, spiritual powers of darkness and heavenly realms. <laughs> Not one or two demons did he send packing, but a, a legion, a legion who were trembled and squealing and begging, a legion of demonic forces empowered by the devil himself, begging and squealing for their lives because Jesus has power and authority over them as well. And this is supposed to encourage the hearts of God's people that when we have a challenge or a conflict of any kind, that we have God with us. And if God is for us, who could be against us with this kind of authority? It's good to have a friend in high places. And really, that is sort of what he's getting at here. And now... This morning, the list is lengthened even more to include the authority to forgive sin, which the religious teachers present there uh, rightly believed that this is an authority that only God possessed. They're absolutely right. So Jesus will blow everybody's minds by assuming that authority to himself to speak in first person for God, which only brings you to one conclusion that he is equal to God in every way. Charles Spurgeon coined the phrase, Jesus is very God of very God. The rabbis in the room evidently 
will think that Jesus has pronounced forgiveness because he's unable to heal the guy because Jesus got put on the, on the spot, you know, called on the carpet like, oh, you didn't see this coming. Yeah, who would? You know, the guy's lowered down. And then because he's in the house preaching, Mark says, he's teaching. He's not healing. He's avoiding the streets because everybody thinks he's a miracle worker and that's the point of him coming. And he says, no, I'm here to teach the word of God and preach the gospel because there's something more important than the guy's legs. It's his life. It's his eternal destiny. So these guys think he, oh, he's just just saying, he's, he's buying time, he's looking for a loophole, you know, oh, your sins are forgiven. But Jesus sees it as a teaching moment. Here's what he's saying. Here's man's greatest problem. It's not his legs. And here's where you can find the remedy to man's greatest problem. God's only begotten son, the forgiveness of sins, not found anywhere else, but through Christ alone. So as always, this incident's cram-packed full of valuable insights, and we're going to get underway. We'll conclude with the worship team coming up and kind of uh, helping us to enter a time of communion uh, where we remind ourselves of the greatest problem conquered on our behalf and that God calls us friends. It's amazing. So let's dive in. We'll just isolate that first part there. You have it before you. The townspeople of Gadara make a huge mistake and oust Jesus because they're more interested in their pocketbooks because it costs them 2,000 pigs to have Jesus in the vicinity. And they're worried, what else will this guy uh, cause us to lose out on? The only thing that Jesus causes you to lose is your sins. And who wants them around, right? So he gets in the boat. He comes across now to Capernaum. It's probably Peter's house with Andrew, uh, his brother. Four guys are carrying their buddy with hopes, high hopes, of getting him to the miracle worker. But fat chance, right? There were enormous crowds. No one's budging. Just a wall of people. So they haul him up to the roof. They dig up the tiles, lower the stretcher down with the ropes, and down smack dab in front of the Son of God. This should be interesting. Um, so the first thing I want you to do is picture the scene here, right? Picture the scene, the crowds. Okay, Black Friday crowds. Nothing, nothing in comparison because more is going on here than a good deal on a flat screen TV, folks. You've got the one who said, I came down from heaven. John chapter six, I, God, came down from heaven and wrapped myself in flesh and blood to dwell among you for a purpose, right? But when God comes down from heaven, man, the things that he says and does, well, Mark chapter 1 tells you instantly, Mark 1, instantly, immediately, his fame spread abroad throughout all the region around Galilee. Well, of course, the God-man is speaking and doing things that only God can do. And of course, therefore, you have, in the Greek, crowds of crowds in the Greek. So there's a lot of people there. They filled the room where he's teaching God, unfiltered God. Can you imagine? 
those words just going straight into your ears, straight into your heart, down deep into your soul and spirit, where only God who created soul and spirit can go. So there's a massive crowd that's spilling out at probably acres on the property, down the lanes, blocking the way, and that's what's going on. I mean, he has been healing leprosy with a touch and people's disfigured faces. When he healed people of leprosy, their disfigured faces from the decay of the disease was restored in front of people's vision. And there was a rumor that he raised somebody from the dead. The rumor was true. And so, yeah, there's a lot of people there. Lots of needs in the region, lots of miracles to see, lots of bodies now surrounding Jesus, which is part of the problem and lends itself to the delightful <laughs> outcome here with these ingenious friends of the paralytic. And so, interestingly, uh, Jesus is in the house uh, preaching and not doing the miracles, but they really want to see something amazing. But Jesus is going to say, there's something more amazing than raising a cripple up. And we're going to get to that. So we picture this scene, and now we imagine these faith-filled friends. Hats off to these guys. Without their faith, without their commitment, without their sacrifice, without their effort, without their love, we wouldn't have Matthew 9, 1 through 8, Mark 2, 3 through 12, Luke 5, 18 through 26. It would be missing from your Bible without those four guys. Oh, any one of them could have said, I know, I'll pray for you. What do you mean? There's too many people. We'll never get you there. You know, I'm too busy. I've got a job. Hello, all four of them had jobs. All four of them had wives and kids. All four of them had something better to do that day, didn't they? But there was a window of opportunity. The Holy Spirit just kind of put it on their hearts. They could have said, you know, it's kind of heavy. And, and who made this stretcher? It's not made proper. I mean, we're going to lose them halfway down there. You know, it's too far. It's too far. It's going to take too much time. What if we get there and Jesus doesn't want to heal them, you know? These guys are the, the quintessential fishers of men. They are the epitome of what it means to do the work of the Lord. As a team, with faith, hope, and love, if you ever wanted to see faith, hope, and love work together and expressed in somebody's life, look at these men. Faith. Nobody had to say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. Nobody had to say anything. You could tell they were believers by how they were living, how they were treating their friend in need. They had faith that if we put this guy anywhere near Jesus, his life is going to be changed, transformed. The things that are powerless in his life will become alive. Anything can happen if we can just get the guy to Jesus. That's faith. That shows their faith right there. And hope, oh my word, hope is propelling these guys. Hope for, for their buddy who's gone through a dark, dark time. Who knows how he became paralyzed? Was it a terrible accident? Anything, a disease, all these different things. But they have hope that one touch from God and new strength and new life 
uh, would be available for somebody they care about and love. Faith, hope, and love. Love. Love doesn't consider it a burden. I've got to carry him all the way, you know, but a blessing. You know, he ain't heavy. He's mine. <laughs> Just checking to see if you guys listen to secular music. <laughs> All right. Uh, Listen, love isn't thinking, you know, love isn't thinking, you know, all the things I could be doing right now. Could you stop complaining? Oh, you're hurting me. You're hurting me. Okay. You know, I could be doing something right now other than carrying you all over the place. Love doesn't give up when there's an impasse. Oh, too bad, sorry. You know, there's a wall of human bodies. People are rolling their eyes, you know, saying, uh, you know, you're not getting through. We were here before you. If anybody's going to get through, it's everybody in front of you, guys. Might as well take your friend and go home. But love says, faith, hope, and love combine. Says out of our way, we'll think of something. Where there's a will, there's a way. And what's the most important thing to these four guys is the guy. What does that say about us who are friends of Jesus doing God, Jesus' work to be bringers? He thinks of us as bringers. Just get them near me, folks. Can you help me out with that? It's just fun to imagine when they pull up to the wall of people, you know, and those rolling their eyes. And then one of them, there's always one crazy Christian in the bunch, you know. One of them, a light bulb comes, comes on. Come on, guys. Let's go. We're not going home. We're going. We can't go through. We're going to go up and over. We're going to go up and over and down right in front. Just follow me. Come on. Yeah. There's always one, you know, like that. And the other three are like, oh, you're crazy. But come on, let's do this, you know? And so they go up the side steps or in the back, however you get up to those Mediterranean-style flat roofs where they enjoy their summer evenings out there. And uh, yeah, so the, the roofs are made of wooden beams and thatch and mud and tiles. And the crazy one looks down at the, the tiles and says, let's do this. Let's tear it up. You know, and so, you know, there's commotion. Now, come on, picture it. You don't dig through like a mostly mud roof without <laughs> loosening up some debris, right? <laughs> so, you know, Jesus has to kind of bob and weave you know, like what is going on? You think a baby crying in the congregation's distracting? Oh my word, the Lord's teaching, you know, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me as well. Boom, 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 boom. And then suddenly the rafters, and then you start seeing sunshine through the roof? Come on. Now shout out to Peter. Who does, we don't hear him saying, what? What's going on? This is my roof. How much is that going to cost? What is that? Who are they? What? You know? And now he might have got up like, Ugh! and Jesus would have shot him a look like. <laughs> this is part of Matthew chapter 9. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, moms are really good at shooting glares, but the son of God... Watch out. <laughs> so I would think some, uh, some of them up there are like just having second thoughts. What are we doing? Yikes, who's going to pay for this? And the crazy ones, like, oh, uh, you know, just get them down. We'll lower. We'll take care of the roof. Later this afternoon, I've got some extra stuff at home. We'll come over and we'll fix it. The important thing is, and faith will take calculated risks. 
What if he doesn't heal him? There's no plan to haul him back up. <laughs> their, faith, their faith says, we're lowering you down and you're walking out of there. Because we're not carrying you. You know, get four new friends to carry, carry you home, maybe. Well, no one is planning on that because they have faith. And the hole's open. They secure the stretcher with some crude ropes. And down he goes right in front of Jesus. And you know Jesus is smiling. I will ask to see this picture. I need to see this whole scene lived out for me across the entire sky. I want to see him light it up and show us when we get there. Uh, about this just wonderful scene. And you know you could hear a pin drop. The guy kind of settles down. Everybody sees his ankles curled up like atrophied sardines. I don't know what that is. It just <laughs> came into my head. I pictured some fish kind of uh, twisted up there. But, but they know the guy can't walk, and it's obvious looking at his limbs. And now Jesus is, is on the spot. What's going to happen? Nobody could breathe. You know, Jesus is smiling. Let's see what happens here. Next slide. Mostly Matthew's account here. And so it starts off, Jesus sees their faith. And that's what opens the door for everything. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Jesus said, you don't need a lot of it just a pinch, and you'll see mountains move. I'm not asking you for the stellar faith. I'm just asking you for reasonable faith, reasonable faith. And, and who's included when he sees their faith? The guy on the mat. Of course, people love to say, well, he's like one of the only guys who got a miracle without faith. Jesus calls him son, child, Oh, no, no, no. You have to have faith for that. So he saw their faith and includes a fifth man, the man who's on the mat. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, To all who received him, to those who believed on his name, to them and them alone, he gave the power and right to become a child of God. And he uses the word child. Therefore, the man on the mat believed on his name. And so he looks down at the paralyzed man and I imagine the warm smile and he says, child, son, cheer up, man, cheer up, friend, right? Now this word, your King James has man. Your, your sins are forgiven, man. It does. It says man, literally. But they didn't talk like that. Man, correctly, the NIV nails it. It's friend. It's affection. If they were in Australia, he would have said, take courage. Your sins are forgiven, mate. <laughs> That's exactly what he's warming up to him. He's saying, not only are you my child and I love you, but I like you too. I like you. Because if your sins are going to be forgiven and they're gone, what's not to like about you? What's not to like? What's to charge you and accuse you of? What's to judge you? If you don't have one sin, not a half a sin, not a point one sin, nothing, but as holy as the Son of God, then of course he likes us. <laughs> and of course, that's how he sees us. He sees you in heaven, completed. He knows who you really are. 
not disguised as some broken sinner. That is our current reality, but not our permanent destiny, is it? And so, yeah, so um, he says take heart, but you know he didn't. He was so discouraged. And so was everybody in the room. We're not going to get our miracle. We're going to get a Sunday school lesson. Really, Jesus, on forgiveness. Your sins are forgiven. It's like I could hear the dude up above say, Jesus, what good is forgiveness when he doesn't have two legs to walk on? And then I could imagine Jesus saying, and you, what good are two legs when you're not right with God and your two legs are going to take you to hell? What good is any good work? What good is any blessing up to inheriting the whole world? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose your soul in a place called hell, outer darkness, where Jesus describes a worm that never dies and a flame that never goes out forever? Oh, happy day when Jesus gets to the heart of the problem. Son, your problem isn't your legs. And it isn't half of the things you think is your problem. Your biggest problem is your relationship with me. And anything that gets in the way of that, oh, that is a problem worth trying to fix. But I got good news for you, mate. (laughs) I got good news for you, buddy. Nobody's mad at you in heaven anymore because you believed in me and my work that I'm about to do on your behalf. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the long-robed, righteous, self-righteous guys who hated him in spite of what they were getting from their minds and their knowledge and, and all the goodness Jesus was doing. And Jesus eavesdropped on their souls and into their brains and minds and says, why are you thinking evil things about me? You accuse me of blaspheming? You're the ones blaspheming. You're the ones sinning because you can have a struggle about, wow, taking on the authority to forgive men's sins. You can have an honest, innocent struggle with that and not sin. They were already condemning Jesus. They already were envious and hating him, and it didn't matter the goodness they saw or heard, the miracles that they were witness to. They left the scene and conspired to kill him. So their problem, thinking negative of Jesus and, and the gospel and Christianity is not worth my consideration. They already come into it close-minded in spite of the goodness they know about. They know too much. They've seen too much. They've heard too much uh, for them to be assuming and a rush to judgment to condemn him for no reason other than the fact they don't want to submit and serve him and lose their sins. And that's why Jesus condemns them and says, you're evil. Why do you have evil thoughts like that? Well, you know, it turns out that 
it is true that only God can forgive a person's sins. Obviously, David said this after he sinned with Bathsheba. He wrote in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. So sinners are guilty before God alone. Now, if you put this in a secular sense and you think of, let's pick a company like uh, Hewlett Packard and you embezzle from them, let's say a million dollars. Can you imagine somebody who's a new hire who works in the mail room coming up to you and say, buddy, no problem. We're not pressing charges. You're forgiven. No worries. You don't need a lawyer or anything. They're just going to drop the matter. What? Who are you? You're going to have to be the CEO, the director of the, the board, right? You're going to have to have authority and power. So Jesus makes this claim. I'm the CEO, the director of the boards of the universe. And anybody who's ever sinned in the entire world answers to me. And I have the sole privilege and right of granting them forgiveness because their sin is against me. My son, your sins, I say, are forgiven. Done. Wow, you could have heard the gasp in Milwaukee. <laughs> I needed a faraway place. I just picked Milwaukee. You could have heard that gasp because he's saying, I am God. And he is. God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son made his dwelling with us, conceived of the Holy Spirit God, born of a virgin womb, human. He's the God-man. And the God-man was standing there with somebody in great need, and he looked down with compassion, and God himself said, you are forgiven, friend. If you want to unravel me... <laughs> Have God look at me and call me his friend. He says, I call you my friends. He says, hey, you know, I let you in on all of my secrets and my business. Masters don't do that. Only you do that with a friend. And he says, greater love is no man than this. Then, and then somebody would lay down his life for who? His friends. He says, you are my friend. That, I could live on that verse for the rest of my life and every motivation and inspiration to serve him and do the hard work of being a Christian to gaze at him and know what it cost him to make me his friend. That's an amazing thing, is it not? <laughs> so they for sure are aghast at this beautiful claim and so... <laughs> And Jesus is going to say, listen, man, it's not your legs, it's your sins, and I've got the pro problem solved. Your sins are uh, forgiven. Now, this brings us back to the gospel, which is not popular, which some of your friends and family have already abandoned, for a new and different progressive gospel, which there is no other gospel. You abandon this one, you don't get another one, because there's only one, right? It's been entrusted to us for, for time and memorial, 
This is the gospel. And so the gospel, the new gospel, wants to do away with sins, the whole purpose that he came, the whole purpose he looks down and says, it's not the legs. It's not social justice. It's not a moral example. It's only one reason. Your biggest problem is what I came to do. Your sins are the problem, and I came to die for them and take them away. Look at this slide that just shows you the, the preeminence and the purpose of God's intervention in human history. Come now, Isaiah chapter one. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet. They should be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. In Exodus 34, Moses said, I would love to see the essence of who you are. Could you show me what's so glorious about you? And he says, I will. And God appears. And whenever you see God in a body, it's the son of God. Our Jesus appears and says to Moses as he passes by, the Lord, the Lord, God, I am compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving devotion and truth, maintaining loving devotion to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, forgiving transgression, forgiving sin. What's my glory? That I would let everybody off the hook and how would I do it justly? I myself will take it on. You know, he ends up, he's saying, you can't see my face, but I'll show you my back in the same context of show me your glory. And one writer said, is it possible that the pre-incarnate Christ undid his shoulder of his robe and showed him his back? He said, you're not going to see my face. You're going to see my back. You're going to see my glory. And my glory is to forgive transgressions and iniquities and sin and evil. And this is my glory, that I would become the sin of the world as God in a human body, as a sacrifice of love. That's the glory. That's the gospel. If you take sin and the cross and the blood and the need to repent and find Christ, you don't have a gospel. You have some counterfeit, and it cannot save your friends. It cannot save those on Facebook and Pinterest and all of the other apps that are promoting this warm fuzzies. You can't have warm fuzzies without a bloody cross that pays and takes away the ugly separation. Oh, but there's so much pressure on you and I feel it for you and I pray, I pray for you that your faith will not buckle and you will not buy this nonsense that the attempt to, to scratch and tickle your ears and you get swept away in abandoning the faith and the gospel that can save. Amen. Uh, you needed to say that a little quicker. <laughs> I was needing it. All right. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103. In him, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Hebrews 10 and 10, our sins are washed away. And we're made clean because Christ gave his own body as a sacrifice for us. He did this once and for all. And so get this, get this, okay? Before all other benefits of Christianity, higher than every other blessing God can ever bestow on anybody, the greatest need any human being could ever have is forgiveness 
of sins. And he says, there's one place you can find it because I love you, I tell you, it's me and me alone. We continue now. Jesus is going to get ready for the lesser miracle, the smaller concern, uh, the temporary matters of his legs. And to, so he says, to prove to you that I have full authority to forgive sins, I got a question for you. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or you're healed. In other words, anybody, it's pretty easy for anybody off the street to say the words to somebody, your sins are forgiven you, right? How would you ever know? It's invisible. It's a matter of the heart. There's no way to ever know if the person did it or not. So that's a pretty easy thing to say, Jesus says. Wouldn't you agree? And everybody's like, yeah, that's pretty easy. But to show you that I am God and that I can speak to somebody and tell them your sins are wiped out, then I'll say the harder thing. I'll say to somebody whose limbs are curled up and have no strength and atrophied for years, get up and walk. And he stands up, but boy, they're watching those legs. Those legs suddenly, like those Popeye cartoons, (laughs) you know, just start to have vim and vigor and life. And they become stable and strong and up he goes and he's just going like that. And again, the gasping and the wows and the amazement. And now the reaction is just incredible. Let's finish up. Immediately he gets up in front of everybody, picks up what he'd been laying on. Wow. And went home praising God. Can you imagine? When the crowd saw, and, and, and writers love to say, He was dancing in his heart long before he was dancing on his feet. You don't think that that having Jesus Christ, the Son of God, speak straight into your soul with those words didn't raise that doomed heart of despair and sin and lifeness within. Oh, he raised him up. I'm sure that he would have been happy to have been wheeled out or carried out because of the joy in his own heart, having God reach into his soul and make him alive and give him purpose and hope and a weight off of his shoulders for sins and all of that, to call him friend. But no, God just kicked in the extra service there and he goes home praising God and everybody's filled with awe. The word awe there means to be struck out of your body. You know how we say, I was beside myself? That's where it comes from. Just struck so much so that you're no no longer present in your own skin. That's how amazing. And they praised God. I already told you what it meant, that that God was intervening and giving authority to the Messiah on his behalf to spread blessing and life and come to our rescue by dying for our sins, really. This is the point. And so I love that as well. We've seen some pretty remarkable things today. One writer started it, started me thinking about the larger truth that all of Jesus' miracles, the temporary, uh, less significant things of opening blind eyes that will have to die again, in death or raising somebody up that has to die again. 
but just giving us a picture of the eternal gospel. So every miracle is pointing to the gospel, some facet of the gospel. And this gospel says, really, this truth of the gospel says that before we meet Jesus, when we're in our sins, we're paralyzed. We can't be the husband, the wife, the father. We can't love the way we're supposed to love. We have no power to break the shackles of sin, the slavery and tyranny of self. We're just lame in so many meanings of that word that we use. We lay before Jesus. Maybe a friend brought us and Jesus speaks and we connect and then he raises us up inside and he gives us the lame parts, the paralyzed parts that you can't love and you can't uh, rise to the occasion to do God's will. This is our gospel. This is our God. He comes into Mary Magdalene's lame life and he raises her to be a virtue of purity, the first witness of the resurrection. That's raising somebody up, man, who needs two good legs or anything else when we've got a savior who raises us to a life that can never die, to reach our fullest potential in Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time now to remember your death on our behalf and the love that you have offered this whole world, not just to us, but the sins of the world were on your shoulders, their names in your heart, God, to reconcile us, to give us this marvelous hope. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 